What I'd like to do right now is actually go through uh, some of the uh, individual uh, albums or CDs up here. So uh, first one I have up here is, of course, uh, this one. And this is how I first discovered you. I'm not sure if you put one out before this, but uh, this one, you know, really got my attention. And, and the title track is, you know, really hypnotic. And so could you talk to me about uh, this one a little bit and um, some of the uh, most memorable aspects of it? Well, yeah, that was the one, you know, what worked pretty closely we were talking with Bootsy on that one and that was uh going in the studio and really um and and the band I was touring I was you know that that was also a combination of the band I was touring with that's when I first really started kind of getting on the road a little bit it was mostly the Midwest area I wasn't like touring nationally so much at that point yet but um you know Ohio Michigan Kentucky Indiana West Virginia we we're starting to tour a lot and um so it was uh was definitely the album that I kind of cut my teeth on in the studio, both songwriting wise, um, lyric wise, you know, groove wise. And, and it kind of, I've evolved a lot from that album. I still love that album to death. And, um, but that's definitely almost set the blueprint for what Freak Bass was going to be for the coming years after that, for sure, too. I mean, there's so many, you know, like you mentioned, The Body of Our Mind. That's a great song. Um, the very first, I think it's track two or three, is a song called Freak Bass 2YK. That was the first song, actually, Bootsy and I wrote in the studio together. And that's on there, too, as well. And um, that's when I started learning how to, you know, be in a studio and, and, and write and stuff. So that it's, it's always going to have a special place for me. Um, what kind of reaction did you get when this came out? We're this was 2001. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, uh, it was back before I was probably even shaving back then. Those days. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, uh, it, it was good, you know. It was, uh, I mean, our, our, that's when I kind of started getting myself on the map a little bit. You know, I started getting some, a few national magazines started kind of, you know, paying attention to me a little bit. It was a real exciting time because it was, you know, it was, kind of my my breakout party i guess you could say so uh you know it was exciting and then i was as i was hearing good stuff i was hearing bad stuff like who is this you know what's this guy trying to do you know like you know and as much as positive you hear the bad stuff too and that was kind of like whoa you know that's when you circuit into the public spotlight it's always a little weird because you get you know some you know some great comments and it feels great but then you also have some people that are like just not into whether they're not into what you're doing or they're not into who you are or whatever the case may be but i just wasn't used to that at that point especially people outside of my little circle so it just it you know definitely toughens you up calluses you up a little bit for uh having a career in the music business that's for sure you did not appear on this was that a conscious effort or you know in terms of your picture I'm actually, if you look, if you look on there, look on the, on the, on the um, I can't think if it's a front cover. Yeah, not on the front cover, but on the back cover. Yeah, I'm kind of like placed in there too as well. And obviously, if you, as you open it up, you go in there too as well. No, it wasn't. I mean, it was just kind of, um, we just kind of had this, con this uh, uh, conscious Angie Wilson who did the artwork, you know, um, had a, a really kind of strong idea. And I love the images she came up with too as well with the, kind of alien lady with the headphones on it just seemed like a good way to kind of kind of uh introduce me to uh to some people out there I just there it is there yeah and actually i think uh, i don't have one here me but i think actually in her i can't remember if it's on the front cover or the back cover there's actually i might be in there 
Let me see the back cover. Yeah, go to the front cover again. Turn around. Go to the front side to me. There you go. Yeah, I'm actually on the cover. See, I'm looking at her body. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so I'm, I kind of snuck in there, kind of like through the back door. Yeah. So I was on the cover kind of in a weird way. Yeah. So at this point, uh, you know, how much did you have your, uh, you know, freak based persona together in your stage, you know, presentation, that kind of thing? I mean, I was kind of getting it together at that point. Um, I've always been show going to see a show has always been like, you know, I like, I like the, I'm, I like the show business aspect, aspect of stuff, you know, as much as, you know, my mom, you know, always was playing me, you know, all those old Judy Garland movies and Elvis and, and the Beatles and all that kind of stuff. And I was, you know, so I was like, as I was learning about music, I was also learning about the showbiz aspect of things too, as well. So I've always been kind of from that school too. I went to school for creative performing arts too, for high school. So I had a lot, got a lot of it from there too, as well. I mean, I was definitely still kind of developing my freak based persona at that point, but, um, you know, a lot of that just kind of happens naturally too, as well. So, um, I mean, I've always been kind of a over-the-top type type guy. So that didn't, doesn't take a whole lot for me on that 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 aspect. All right, then we had uh, this one. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, so that was one. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah. Go ahead. No, this is well. This is called the uh, the Air is Fresher Underground. The air is fresher underground. Yeah, and that's the one that I worked quite a, quite a bit with uh, with uh, Bernie on and Buckethead's on that album too, I believe. And and uh, so people started kind of you know maybe taking me a little bit seriously. So I started getting some more people I got to work with. Bernie was obviously huge um, for a lot of the songs we wrote together on that album. And um, yeah, and and at that point I was starting to tour more. I was starting to kind of break out of just the midwest we were starting to do a little bit more national stuff too as well so um it was an exciting time i was still learning about life i'm still learning about songwriting every day but i was definitely still kind of learning the art of songwriting and production um greg fitz actually also from the whole p-funk world played keyboards on one track two on that so i was kind of starting to meet more people in that whole greater funk circle that i was playing with which was really exciting for me as a, as a person too as well and i think the fact that i at that point i was starting i'd been around for two or three four years people are thinking, oh, okay, this is not just some fly by night guy. This is putting out an album and then just going to, you know, having a good old laugh about it. I mean, he's really serious about this and plans on having a career at it. And I think a lot of people in the industry maybe started, especially other musicians kind of started maybe taking me, you know, like, oh, this guy's serious. At least he's plans on being serious. And that's, uh, you know, hopefully that reflected in the music a little bit too, as well. Were you on any bills with any of the P-Funk related acts or Bootsy at that time opening or anything like that? He yeah, we we uh, we did a bunch of shows with George, uh, George, and um, I think we actually did some shows with Bernie Worrell, and I think it was the Woo Warriors at that point. I think we did a few shows with Bernie Worrell and the Woo Warriors. I would go in and sit in with them for a few songs after our set, and um, I'm trying to think who else we played during that period. You know, that was when I was just first starting to play with a lot of those folks. Yeah, but I did play with Buckethead, but that was a few few uh, like a few years later. Buckethead, Buckethead, and I did a few dates together too as well, but that was a few years later. Um, but yeah, that's when I was definitely starting to break into that circle and people, I think were starting to kind of maybe notice me a little bit for the, for that period. Yeah. I really like, uh, that burnt cat was a fun song on that one. Oh yeah. 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 That was one. Yeah. That was great. Bootsy came up with a lot of those lyrics too, as you can imagine too. That was good. <laughs> and then we have uh, junkyard walls. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, uh, you got the digipack here. You kind of 
got a nice uh, yeah nice packaging on that one. Uh, what, what memories do you have on this one? Well, that was the way that kind of came together. Uh, Toby Donahue, who actually is Bootsy, still is Bootsy's uh, engineer, is the one that did a lot of engineering producing on that. Toby, um, Bootsy had put Toby and I together. There was that label P-Vine Records I was telling you about earlier when they were putting out a uh, big, it was a big James Brown remix, a bunch of remixes of James Brown songs. And uh, uh, Bootsy asked if I wanted to do Toby and I would wanted to do a remix of Living in America. So, um, so I didn't know Toby that well at that point. He was kind of from the same scene I was. He's actually a DJ himself, too, as well. He's in a band called Animal Crackers, but he's also um, Bootsy's engineer. He had previously worked with High Tech, who's a really big producer, produced a bunch of stuff with like Alicia Keys and some other big names as well, Talib Kweli and stuff. Um, but Bootsy came over from that camp, came over to... Uh, so Bootsy kind of connected me and Toby together. We kind of knew each other periphery, but we never really worked together that much. And him and I working on that, the, uh, the P-Vine record, seeing the James Brown Living in America thing, really, really hit it off really well in the studio. So much so, a few years later, actually, him and I did a side project called Freakbot. His stage name is Tobadias. Mine's obviously Freak Bass, so we called it Freakbot. It was a DJ and bass combination. We went out and did, uh, did, did, did more kind of electronic dance music kind of festivals and stuff together. Um, but during that time, so uh, Toby and I hit it off really well, and he said well, um, he had a great studio, too, as well. So that's uh, I went to his place, and we started writing songs together, and that's kind of where that came from. Also on that album is right around the time when I met Mike Gordon from Fish, too. This is about 2008, I believe. And uh, we bumped into each other at Bass Player Live, which is this thing that Bass Player Magazine puts on up in New York. And um, started uh, talking about just about bass gear stuff, like, you know, what, what's the latest gear was, like total bass player geek stuff. And I was kind of joking with him once in an email. And I said, hey, if you're ever down, I'm getting ready to work on my new album. Uh, I'd love to have you on a track. Kind of kind of kidding i wasn't really serious thinking he would take me seriously and about two or three weeks later he called me and he said hey uh freak i'm gonna be in cincinnati uh for a day you want me to come down and still do a do a song with you and i was like what so it's like yeah let's do it so we recorded a song which is the, actually the title track of the album was junkyard waltz so uh we played on together that track is just, everything you're hearing that track is all bass just myself and mike gordon on bass besides the drums and vocals of course and uh, then we wrote the lyrics together. He had the concept for Junkyard Walls, and then I kind of fed off of that, and I thought it was a great name for an album title. And uh, so, and then we, like I said, we've been really good friends since then. But the, um, yeah, so that was a big thing about that album, too. I remember that memory, too, of working with him, because that was kind of special. Because that song, Junkyard Walls, him and I actually had other songs that were going to make the album that we'd kind of written together through um, sending files back and forth and some ideas. I just happened to, we were, it was kind of the end of the day. We were kind of getting all burnt out. I went downstairs, put a little drum beat on the drum machine on, on in the studio and just started playing this bass line. He just walked down, picked up his bass, started jamming to me. Luckily, the engineer was smart enough to put the tape on, just recorded us, and that song was the one that became Junkyard Waltz on the album. Yeah. Wow. That's a happy accident. Yeah. You took a different great. approach on the next one. You did a crowdsourcing thing. Um, and actually I participated and I got the signed copy and the thank you. So oh, wonderful. You... thank you for that. Thank you very much. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. So why don't you talk to me about, uh, how that came about? And I think, uh, if I'm not mistaken, was there sort of a longer, uh, period of time between releases here? What, what was going on? Well, and the reason for that, yeah, there's a reason for that because in between both of those, there's actually another album that actually can get online, which is called Concentrate, which is just at the Freak Bass Bandcamp site, which is a all... It, we gave the whole thing away. It's a 10-song album giveaway, 
which was during that period I was talking about when I was doing a lot of stuff with Headtronics, doing more kind of the like electronic dance music. We were calling it Funktronica. You know, it's kind of funk and electronica mix. Um, I did some tracks with, um, uh, that's when uh, Toby and I were doing the Freakbot thing. So that was still stuck there in the middle there. So it was like, they're still about two years apart, but that, that, that album was right in the middle of those two. So coming out of that, I'd done that for a couple of years, more of the electronic dance stuff. And I wanted, I was kind of getting funk stuff. I was actually torn for a short time with a, a lady named Kelly Ritchie, who's a female blues guitar player. Um, I knew I was kind of going to be in the studio for a while. So I just was taking a little break from touring for a bit. So I was touring with her. And then during that time, that's when that album, Everybody's Feeling Real, the album you're talking about, the crowdsource, that's kind of evolved into what we sound like today. That's probably, you know, it's only a few years. I think it came out 2012, I think, 2011. Um, Razor Sharps on that album. That's when we started working together in the studio a lot together. And the, the sound that we developed kind of that we sound like now, that's where the beginning of that started. So while I was touring with uh, Kelly, we got this idea of doing, uh, my manager at the time, he said, you should do a crowdfunding thing for your album. And I was, it's always weird that, you know, like going asking people for money, it's like, ah, it's kind of awkward. And he said, well, no, the, the Kickstarter thing is not just about, and which I found out, it's not just about, hey, give me, you know, 10 bucks for my album or whatever, or 20 bucks or whatever it was. It's more about you create this almost this community of people that are invested into the album, almost like a bunch of executive producers on the album. And then, you know, the way that Kickstarter has it set up is beautiful because it's almost like it becomes its own little social network of people that are all there for the updates of the album and they're 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 like they're you know they're involved in it you know invested in it is a better word they're invested in it like you are which it kind of gives a different energy to the album so that was the main thing that was so great about doing that crowdfunding thing i mean yeah it was nice having some financial help putting the album out but it was more about getting this whole team of people together to be a part of uh the album process and again that that album is really definitely like you know the springboard for where we are today you know in terms of sound and stuff too yeah, I remember the Concentrate uh, uh, album as well, too. Um, just, I don't have uh, yeah. the nice artwork for that one. It's online. But um, so why sure. don't you conti continue on and talk about your, your latest release, which I don't have a copy of here to hold up. But um, I think uh, is that remake of Let's Go All The Way, is that is that on that as well? And just talk about uh, that whole project. That's actually not, well, the, my latest release album that came out not quite a year ago now, um, everybody's feeling real actually got that label i was talking about rope dope kind of interested in what i was doing so rope dope records is a really killer re label snarky puppy you're doing really well they just want to grab me this past year um dj logic was on that label they got some really cool artists on that label too and um so they kind of heard about me through everybody's feeling real from the buzz that album created and so we signed with rope dope and then we did an album called cincinnati which got released about a year ago or so and um um, so we were out touring for that too as well. A lot of the players involved still as well that we that were on the last album of Everybody's Feeling Real. And um, let's go all the way. Actually, Rope It Up was asking they wanted me to put something else new for the holiday. Try to get some for this this past holidays we just got through. You know, for 2000 like Christmas era 2016. So I said, well, hey, I'm not quite ready for a whole album yet because I'm still working the studio a lot. And they said, well, how about just doing a single? And I was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then I was just driving home from a gig once and you know this whole conversation that you and i are having almost was kind of like a full circle thing i was like well the person that really brought me into this whole world was gary mudbone cooper and uh mm -hmm. muddy's big hit was let's go all the way and i said i was like wow that would be so wild to actually you know be like a total yin yang kind of thing doing that so i literally that second i called muddy up on the phone i said hey i got this crazy idea 
Um, I thought about thought about doing a rope dope wants me to put something out. And what would you think about if I did a version of your song? And I said, I, I don't want to do it unless you give me your blessing on it. And he said, freak, I'm all about it. You can do it. And he was really, I was, you know, very nervous to have him here at the first time, but he loved it. He did this real nice write about it himself. And so we did a video. It was kind of like a video single that Rope Dope released. So we did this crazy video for it as well, trying to almost kind of, kind of play the guy, the video director wanted to kind of almost bring elements of the original video that Gary did, back, that Muddy did back with Sly Fox back in the 80s. So it's kind of got this kind of 80s kind of feel to it. Um, and then so Rope Dope released that for, for the holidays. Yep. So where I'm at right now, I'm actually in the process of actually working on the next album. Like I mentioned a few minutes ago, I just signed up with a new management company, uh, um, a guy named Bevis Griffin's now managing me now. He's managed Living Color for the last few years and he got in touch with a few few months. So we're really concentrating. I'm in the studio a lot with, um, I'm writing with, um, I don't know if you're, you or your listeners know who Lonnie Marshall is, but Lonnie oh, yeah. and writing together. Yeah, from Weapon of Choice. And, mm -hmm. you know, obviously he wrote a bunch of Snoop Dogg's hits too as well. So, um, so him and I are uh, starting to collaborate together right now on the new record. He's, he's so, I mean, he's so, he's kind of like the Frank Zappa funk, you know, mm -hmm. so it's, it's, he's really, really great guy. So um, we're just kind of starting to get into that now. So it's going to be real interesting to see what we come up with over the next few months. Yeah, he's uh, in the uh, LA area, right? So you're doing it, a lot of stuff remotely. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. I travel to LA a lot, so I, uh, I'm sure I'll do some out there with him too as well. But you know, we're doing a lot of file sharing right now because we're doing a lot of pre-production right at this point right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Freak, I wanted to ask you about, you know, we, we touched on a lot of these areas, but you know, there's so many aspects to what you do um, in terms of performing, composing, arranging, playing, um, even singing. Um, you know, what do you find the most rewarding or fulfilling? And, you know, when you're playing for you, how do you find truth in the rhythm? Well, one thing I say in terms of live, you know, one thing that's kind of developed over the last, you know, I've noticed over the last six months, and I even say this during our show now, it used to be when we kind of closed the show, I would always say, you know, thank you for letting us um, come and play for you. You know, thanks for letting us come play for you. Well, now I close the show and I make a point of saying not, uh, let Vancouver let us come play with you and it's like more and more it almost feels like our shows the audience is becoming as much part of the music that we are it's like we're you know and that's really where the specialty really happens when they start connecting with you like it's almost like I'm in another band member and uh, that's our shows are you know the last year especially there's something kind of something kind of special kind of happening as long as I've been touring for, you know, eight or 10 years, this is the last year. And a lot, a lot of it has to do with the musicians I'm touring with, with Razor Sharp and Rico. We have this really special, we're just a trio going out, you know, bass, keyboards and drums. And it's a really tight unit. And um, it's, we're, there's this connection kind of thing happening for that. So that's where in terms of live, you know, it's not about me and it's not about Razor. It's not about Rico, but it's about everybody in the room or, or the festival or wherever we're playing together. And that's really feels like there's something special happening right there. As far as um, recording, you know, you know, production and songwriting are always stuff that I'm always fascinated by. You know, I mean, I, I'm based, I'm always going to be, you know, bass is my, you know, that's me. That's like me picking up a pencil or something like that. I mean, I just, that's, that's who I am. I'm, I'm, you know, the bass is, is me. But in terms of like, something I'm always more and more fascinated by like songwriting and production because that's kind of the 
you know, production is something that's always evolving. You know, even if you even if you listen to like, say, a song, you know, like like say an Uptown Funk, right? You listen to that on first hearing, you listen to that, and you're like, oh, it sounds just like they're they're basically taking a groove from the time or something like that, or zap, and just putting some new vocals on it. Well, if you really listen to that stuff in headphones and really hear all the stuff, yeah, there's a bass bass line playing that 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 kind of groove. But there's other stuff layered with that too as well to kind of make that's what makes it kind of sound new and it's like all those kind of little subtle things that happen production wise it's just fascinating to me and i think that's uh something that as much as i can i'm going to try to you know try to push forward you know um you know in the future i'm, I'm almost kind of trying to in my mind now so i'm trying to almost write uh funk if it was the year 2025, not the year 2018 or even 2019 or 2020, it's like, that's kind of where I'm thinking, you know, if it was 2025 or 2028 and I was, you know, writing a funk song, man, what would what I be thinking about with songwriting production wise and stuff like that? So we talked a lot about stage and performing, you know, I was hoping you could share uh, one or two really unforgettable experiences you've had out there, you know, whether it was playing for the biggest crowd that you ever played with or, performing with a certain person or someone came up on stage or even something that maybe was not great. You know, like I've asked this before and someone said, I, I, uh, oh, it was a pow the power went out at a show or something like that. So oh, can right, you give me right. a couple of uh, sure. tales, tales from the road. Yeah, well, one of them, you know, was um, there's a really great music festival from the last few years called Bear Creek Music Festival. It's down in Florida. Um, uh, Live Oak, Florida, which is kind of northern Florida. It's a kind of a funk festival. You know, everybody in the world's played there. A lot of from the jam scene, everybody from the, you know, George Porter Jr. from the Meters to Dumpsta Funk to uh, uh, some of more the more modern kind of, you know, Soul Live, Lettuce, a lot of those bands, and then more modern funk bands. But uh, a couple of few years ago, I think it was 2013 or 14 things happen at that that festival first thing is um bernie Worrell was playing with the the bernie Worrell orchestra and he asked me if i would come up and sit in with a song with them and so we did red they did red hot mama and so it was you know it's when you sit in with someone it's fun too because you can just go out there you're not having to like pace yourself for a set you've got you know you got three or four or five minutes and you can just go full on like you're sprinting you know just go crazy so i got up there with bernie you know great crowd the big festival crowd and uh you know, sitting there playing Red Hot Mama with the guy that wrote the song live in front of all these people was just and that energy. I mean, I, I was probably, I'm a, I was running around stage like a madman for that show. And, and I still hear comments even today about that, that performance too, because it was, it was that special kind of five, six, seven minutes I was caught right there. Later on that night, um, there was a band that had both myself and George Porter Jr., the bass player, you know, from the Meters, come up and play together uh together two bass players along with with their band and uh george and i kind of got this magical kind of groove thing going and it was again it was like this thing this is moment of magic he was neither one of us was walking on each other we were both in, in each other's you know complimenting each other's space a lot so that was a pretty special moment that the live moment too as well and then in a more of a studio aspect you know uh, you know I, i've been on stage with bootsy a lot of times but the stuff that really for me is like uh, studio stuff working with him in the studio when there's some moments where he just showed me some production things about like how certain things are done on records and i never like how do they do that on a, how does that sound like that on the album how do they do that and there's a few kind of i don't want to use the word tricks but the production um secrets or whatever you want to do that he showed me 
that I was like, you know, eyes were like, that's how that's done. And when you kind of discover that, it's almost kind of like, you know, like Raiders of Lost Ark or something when you find that, that little magic magical gem or whatever that's what it felt like you know and I was you know again all based off of the, the knowledge that he was sharing with me so that's something I'll definitely never forget in that aspect for all the uh, uh, gearheads out there that might be uh, viewing could you just uh, briefly talk about you know your rig you know what uh, instruments do you prefer and uh, you know what effects and um, you know I every guess every pedal every pedal ever <laughs> pedals are like <laughs> tattoos with me no um well, bass-wise, uh, over the last year, um, I, I did this thing called the London Bass Guitar Show last year. It's like kind of like uh, a music uh, music festival for bass players, um, gear, master classes. So I, I taught a master class there, performed there. One of the companies that was there was a company out of uh, New Zealand called Stonefield Musical Instruments. Um, we started talking at the festival. They asked me if I wanted to be their endorser because they wanted to kind of start getting their stuff over to the States, United States, more of a profile over here. And so they contacted me and not just being endorsed, but if I'd like to do, have them do a freak bass signature model. So um, they did this great bass, um, you know, combination of their designs mixed with what I wanted in the bass. And so now you can buy, not just for me, but for anybody, they came out with a freak bass signature model bass. And if you're ever online on YouTube, uh, there's a great, um, they said, well, we would like to do a demo film about the space. Well, supposed to just doing the standard, you know, hey, sit in the studio. Here's how this knob works here with like a white background or something like that. They said, we'd like to fly you over to New Zealand and actually do like a film, almost kind of like a Star Wars, like in search of the lightsaber kind of film. And so we filmed it where they filmed Chronicles of Narnia um, over there in New Zealand, which is where they filmed The Hobbit too as well. And uh, it's a great, it's really, it's pretty funny, but it's great too. It's, um, it's this whole kind of journey at me starting off in Cincinnati, ending up in New Zealand. Uh, it's called Looking for the Bass Maker. So if you get a chance, if you're watching this, check it out, Looking for the Bass Maker. And it's all about me discovering my freak bass signature model bass and uh, about where to get it and stuff like that. So Stonefield Musical Instruments. So that's my main bass I play right now. That's my main one I play live. Um, of course, I've got a lot of old... Um, you know, 1975 jazz bass is one of my, my big go-to and when I'm recording the studio. I have these custom-made basses I've played for many years, these one, two, three basses, which you'll see on some of my albums too, that are crazy looking basses that a company out of, um, uh, out of uh, Mississippi called, uh, one, uh, called, excuse me, MDX Guitars made for me, maybe three of them. And um, so those are, the, those are the bass side of stuff. On effects wise, yeah, I mean, um, you know, I use a Qtron a lot, which is a filter pedal. Um, a lot of octavers. Um, I use, I've been using this one called the Eventide Pitch Factor, which gives you, you can get an octave below and you can add an octave above. So it gives you more of a frequency range. Gets, you know, we were talking about earlier in this interview about me always trying to strive for that big, kind of big sonic thing that I heard in those Zap songs. And that's one of those, those pedals sub-create that. Another great one for the octaves is called... Um, which is um, uh, MD, uh, MXR has this octave pedal that um, I, I endorse those pedals too. And MXR pedals are so good. They have their, both their, their envelope filter pedal, which is so, so good. And they're real tiny too, which is nice. And also the, um, um, the uh, MXR, uh, the octave pedal, which is great. They've got a new distortion pedal coming out, which I can't wait to get. Those are coming out really soon. And um, 
Also, amp-wise, I'm with a company called Eden Amplification. Eden are out of they're out of London. They're out of the same people that run Marshall Guitar Amps. Marshall and Eden, like Marshall's the guitar division, Eden's the bass division. So I've been with them for about a year, year and a half or so, and they're a great company too as well. Get really big, fat bass sounds out of the amplifiers. And um, I know I'm forgetting it because I have so many effects nowadays. It's ridiculous. I remember it was funny because when I first started playing bass, I'd be like, this would be cool. I could just take a bass, plug it on amp, it'll be done. And then you got that one pedal, and then one pedal led to another pedal. And then, then, then you just want like every pedal in the world. So it's just kind of a nonstop uh, uh, thing. Uh, Pigtronics, which is another great company. They worked a lot with Bernie Worrell too as well. Pigtronics has a... Um, uh, uh, a lot, I use a lot of their pedals. I use the, they have a, they have something called the Infinity Looper, which is a great pedal for creating loops and stuff live. Um, yeah, I mean, there's just so many of them out there now. It's crazy. Yeah, Diodario are my strings I use. I've been with Diodario for, shoot, almost 10 years now. They're a great company, great bass strings, great guitar strings too as well. And uh, they last, they can handle the road. They last, you know, use them for many, many shows and they won't wear out on you. So those are good ones too. What, what in your mind makes a project a success? You know, is it um, how much it sells? Is it, you know, you feel you made an artistic statement? Could you talk about the uh, creative and commerce mix and how, you know, you... Uh, you mean basically creating, you mean having like a career in music, you know, like making your living at it kind of thing, you mean? Yeah, well, I was thinking in terms of uh, individual projects, you know, when you do a given project, like an album, you know, what are you hoping it ultimately accomplishes? You know, uh, how much of that is, is a commerce interest and how much of that is creative expression interest? I see what you're saying. I, I understand. Yeah. Um, well, create, create the creative side is always the number one. That's the driving force that drives any, any musician or artist. I mean, so you're not thinking about, I mean, you have to think about commerce just, you know, because, you know, you got to eat, you got to put food on the table, but, the driving force, at least anybody I've ever known and have worked with, is never, and myself too, it's not about the money or so much. It's about the creative is what, what gets us to do it in the first place, you know. Um, but of course, you know, you're always thinking about, the, you just have to get, the main thing is just trying to figure out people to, to hear it. And the one thing I think has really changed a lot in the last four to five, six, seven, four to five years, I guess, especially, you did an album and you would tour to promote that album. Now it's flipped. You're basically doing the album to promote your live show. So I don't mean you're doing live albums, but but you know, lot playing live is where we make our living, and that's where we that's 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 where the all the magic really happens. And and the um so the the albums are to get people aware of you so you can go tour. So it used to be on what it felt like it was almost the opposite a few years ago. So. Um, yeah. So, but there's always that balance. You're always, you know, you know, that balance between commerce and art, obviously, but you know, I've never been this one nice thing about being an independent artist is that I've never felt like even being on rope dope the, the record label, you know, it's my first official record label I was signed to They're They are very, very artist friendly. They want you to, you know, exploit your vision to where you want to exploit it. And uh, you know, they're not over there, you know, with the, holding their hand over you saying, hey, do this song. You know, we were talking about writing pop hit songs earlier. I don't write a listen to pop or write or try to write a song that sounds like a pop song or whatever because necessarily commerce reasons, it's because I like it. You know, it's like, I'm, you know, if I'm listening to, you know, 
a Beatles hit song. It's not like I'm not listening to it because I thought about where it placed itself on the charts or how much money that album made. I'm just thinking like it because it's pleasing to my ear. And that's kind of the same thing when I do when I try to write too as well. Yeah, I think we're talking about being true to yourself. Um, and I think that's good advice it's for true in anything. Not just me. I think it's not just music. I mean, it's true in any. I mean, the most successful people, you know, in any, you know, whatever walk of life are that, you know, it's always, you know, if you get excited about what you're doing every day, you're the, all the finances and money things are going to happen naturally anyway, because you're, you're excited. People feel that excitement from you from that. So, and I think it's part of being an aspiring musician uh, today. You know, Freak, do you have any advice for someone up and coming now? I mean, not everyone can, uh, you know, go to Bootsy Collins' house uh, and get that kind of uh, schooling. You know, what do you recommend for up and comers? Well, just be, I mean, this sounds a lot of ways kind of cliche, but really be true to yourself. You know, don't like, try to like hear what's the latest thing or fad is or whatever and just try to emulate that just be there's only one you no one else can ever only you can do you and exploit you and make you you know your your branding or your person as big as possible there's no one else in the world that's going to be able to do that so you know if you can have if you have say a hundred people in every city that'll see you. And maybe it's not 10,000 people, but a hundred people that'll come see you in every city, then you can make a living after doing that. You know, you just, you have to pinpoint those people that are into what you're doing. That's the nice thing about the internet now, obviously, is you can, you can find those people a lot easier than what you were able to. But in terms of a musician, I think one thing that is so important is you have to tour. I mean, there's no, getting around that you know i think as a um you know especially yeah i mean there's just you just have to go out and tour and there's and there's any band that kind of blows up on a radar usually a lot of times they've been out touring for 5 10 15 20 years and it takes sometimes that long for you to connect with that many people and all of a sudden they're like oh they were an overnight success well now they've been actually out touring for 15 years you just now heard about them you know and but it's all done through touring because that's how you when you make that direct contact with someone um, that's how you do it. And, you know, touring doesn't necessarily have to be necessarily in a band situation. You know, there's DJs that tour too. And they, it's the venues may be different types of venues. They don't have to be just rock clubs or festivals, but you, going out there on the road and actually connecting with people one-on-one, -on -one, I don't think there's any way you can kind of, um, you can't shortcut that part of it. I think that's another way to look at the one, you know, uh, the rhythm on the one, but also, you know, being true to yourself as one. For sure. Yeah. Um, so you've got uh, the album you're working on. Um, can we expect that uh, before year end or what do you anticipate there? Yeah, I'm hoping so. I mean, I'm thinking, you know, we're already kind of deep. We're, we've got a lot of pre-production going on. What are we in April right now? So uh, April 1st. So, um, you know, hopefully by, I think, realistically late summer, early fall, I hope to have something else out, out there release. Yeah, I'm just really, we're really, trying to do something pretty special on this album um with like i told you bringing other writers in that kind of helped me along with the writing and, and also just production things um so we're setting the bar pretty high on this album which i think is good to do you want to deal with on any album and, and like 
my management's really pushing me really hard to, you know, we're probably going to start with 50 songs and try to will it down to 30, then will it down to 20, then will it down to 10, you know? And so that's kind of the approach we're taking right now. I'm just writing nonstop. Whenever I'm not playing live, I'm just writing, writing a ton. So, um, you know, hopefully something like, I don't want to put a definite timetable on it, but definitely, I mean, definitely before year's end, obviously, but, but I'm thinking probably realistically sometime late summer, early fall is probably realistic. Are, are you trying many of the tracks out on, on stage in your shows or are you just kind of holding them back? That, we are. And that's a big part of it. Even if it's other like little sections of tracks and some of the songs are coming from jams we've lit, written from live, you know, certain things that we, there's a, there's a few songs that we would better starting to kind of make our way into the recording studio that are like, these really cool hooks and different things that we've done live that little cool keyboard lick that razor might've done or a little vocal hook that I might've came up with that people are really connecting with live. Like how can we take that and harness that in the studio and make that actually a, a, a good three to four or five minute song. Well, we're about to wrap it up. Is there anything else that you'd like to uh, plug any um, else, you know, where else you'd like fans to go to find out more about you and all that? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm, a, I'm at all the normal spots, uh, freakbase.com, which again, for those that don't know, it's spelled a little different. It's F-R-E-E-K-B-A-S-S, freakbase.com, um, uh, Instagram.com slash freakbase, Twitter.com slash freakbase. My Facebook page um, is freakbase music, so F-R-E-E-K-B-A-S-S music, M-U-S-I-C, freakbase music. Um, so that's always a good spot to keep up with what's, what's going on there too, as well. And, and mostly I hope I see a lot of people watching this, you know, hopefully bump into them at a show sometime. Cause that's, uh, that's where the connection really happens. Excellent. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of truth and rhythm. A huge thanks to our guest freak base. I really appreciate your time today. It's been a blast. Uh, I love it. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm totally digging this Google Hangouts thing, man. I'm like totally addicted to this thing now. I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start using this like crazy. This is, this is dope. <laughs> well, a sincere thank you to also to all our viewers. And uh, be sure to look out for upcoming Truth and Rhythm episodes and catch up with previous installments at funkinstuff.net and also on YouTube. Until the next time, on behalf of Freak Bass and myself, Scott Goldfine, I want to say keep on vibing to the rhythm of the one.